You know, I, I'm excited to uh, close out. We're going to close out um, our, our Life Worth Living series tonight because next week we've got our worship night. And I'm excited to do so because we've been through the book of Philippians. And, t- and tonight we're going to be in chapter four of Philippians. And we're going to talk a little bit about probably one of the most um, misquoted, misused, misapplied verses in all of Christendom. Um, it's Philippians 4.13. But we'll get to it uh, here in a second. But what we're going to talk about tonight is the idea of contentment. And as I was preparing for this, it dawned on me, you know, we, we talk a lot about Paul. And we talked uh, back in, in uh, chapter 1, we talked about Paul and the fact that he is uh, writing to the church in uh, Philippi from a prison in Rome. And it dawned on me that, you know what? It's really easy for us sometimes, I think, to kind of dismiss Paul. Um, and then, like, well, what Paul's doing, like, I, I, I'm, I'm up to this point, never have been in prison, uh, don't have any plans to be in prison. Um, I've never gone hungry. I've never been without a house. Uh, and all those things Paul has had. He's been in prison multiple times. He's been in shipwrecks. He has been uh, without. He's had lots. Um, and so kind of when I was preparing this, I thought, you know what? We, we need to be careful that we don't just kind of dismiss Paul and say, well, that's not relevant for my life because I'm not in prison and I'm not hungry. But I think as, as I was preparing, it just dawned on me that, you know what? This, um, the text that we're going to look at today is incredibly relevant it's incredibly relevant to me personally in this season of my life because like Josh said, we're going to talk about contentment. And if I'm honest with you, which I always want to be, is there are multiple areas of my life right now tonight that I am not content with. In fact, I am very discontented. And so this lesson has been very challenging for me, um, but it's also been incredibly encouraging to look at a guy like Paul even though we will never experience the same kind of craziness, and learn from Paul how this guy saw the world in such a way that discontent was not part of his category or uh, vocabulary. Because I find myself teaching a text tonight that I have nowhere come close to mastering. In fact, this is a struggle for me on a daily basis. Because I know what I want I know what I want to see. I know what I want to see different. I want to see different things than what are happening in my life. And so reading this text, I hope that maybe you can find a connection to say, you know what, maybe Paul isn't so different than me. Because we all know this feeling, okay? And so I just want to be honest with you. I'm teaching tonight from a place of very much of weakness. Um, I don't want you to ever think that Andy's saying he has contentment licked because I'm probably one of the most discontented people and it frustrates the fire out of me. Because I get up here all the time and I talk about how good God is and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and then I look at my life and I get frustrated with him. Because my life, my relationships, uh, people in my life are, are not where I want them to be and I don't see God moving. And so I just wanna be honest up front that that's where I'm at. But like I said, in, in my prep, um, for this tonight, I've been very encouraged. Um, And so I hope that you're encouraged as well. So seasons come and seasons go. 
But it's hard to, like, if you're anything like me, again, I know that's kind of one of my catchphrases. I say that a lot. I'm sorry. I, I realize that on Sundays. Like, if you're anything like me, like, I say that a lot. Or, uh, you, you know what I mean? I say that a lot, too. Like, you guys have your personal catchphrases that you realize that you have until someone tells you that you have a catchphrase? Sorry. So just bear with me. Um, rabbit trail, come back. Um, where am I? <laughs> oh, it's hard to stay in the moment. <laughs> Ironically, it's hard to stay in the moment. But it, I, do, you guys, do you guys ever experience this, this? It's almost like this cycle of discontent that we have come to just almost become so familiar with that we don't even notice it anymore. Like, it's just, it's just how life goes. So follow me here. Um, I wrote it down because I want to get this right because I think this is going to resonate. So in middle school, we want to be in high school. And when we're in high school, we just want to be in college and in college, we want to graduate and get a job so we can at least be paid for our time. And then we get a roommate um, because we're lonely, and then we have a roommate, and then we want to be alone again, right? We get a roommate, like, oh, it's time for me to get my own place. When we get a job, we want a better job. And when we get a paycheck, not too long after that, we want a bigger paycheck. And when we're single, we want to be dating. And when we're dating, we want to be married. And when we're married, we want to have kids, and then when you have kids, you want them to grow up wonderful and then get out of your house so that you can have your life back. And you just want the roommate again. Like, oh, hello, I haven't seen you in 18 years. But the bottom line is this. We see this cycle of always looking to the next thing. Like, what's, what's coming next? Right, do you guys remember that? Like, for those of you who went to college, that first day you walked on campus, you were like, Freedom. I'm no longer living under my parents' watch. I'm no, I, they, I can do whatever I want. I can stay up as late as I want. I don't have to go to class in the morning if I don't want. Like there's this, this feeling of freedom. But in probably about two and a half short years, halfway through junior year, like, oh my gosh, college is so juvenile. Look at these freshmen. Right? You remember, like, you just look at them with disdain. You're like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, they're just tiny little babies. You know, like, and then we're like, well, I, I need to get a job. Once that happens, and we get into this grass is greener mentality, that where I'm at is not where I want to be, because where I want to be is there. I think we all know this feeling. And, I, and it scares me that we get so comfortable with it, it we just become okay with it. We know the feeling, and, and, and don't get me wrong, feelings are very real. I never want to tell somebody their feelings aren't legitimate, but let me be honest with you. Although feelings are very real, they are very rarely reliable. They're real. We feel them. The tears are real. The anxiety is real. But very rarely are those feelings reliably true. Have you ever wondered if contentment is better than the next thing? Have you ever wondered that maybe the season that you're in is actually better than what's next? Because I think we automatically think, well, whatever's next will be better. Like, we got this advice when we were parents, when we had kids. When, when William came along and then Annabelle, like, we would meet people who have, you know, grown kids, like, oh, just wait till they, they walk for the first time. It's, it's incredible. And then they start walking, well, just wait till they talk for the next, I mean, the next season is so fun. Or, you know, you hit the terrible twos, which is actually, by the way, the terrible threes. Three is the age. Uh, 
They're like, well, once you get past this, then, it, you know, and then, and what Taylor and I realized is like everybody, no one just says, hey, just enjoy right now. Just enjoy right now. Have you ever considered that contentment ends the cycle of discontent in your life? That instead of just going with it and accepting it as fact in life, that that discontent can actually come to an end? Have you ever considered that the cycle of discontent is actually robbing you of God's best for your life? That this quiet cycle that just goes on, like Ecclesiastes talks about this cycle of life. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. The sun comes up and the sun comes down. Like we see this cycle of what's next, what's next. God, I just want that next. I just want to go there next. Did you ever think that finding contentment actually stops that cycle of discontent? Because our world, the world we live in, says more is better, and what you have is not enough, and where you are is not where you should be. That's the world we live in. It's, it's advertising 101. They put something on the screen that says, look at these people. They're your age. They look like you, and they are way happier than you are. So you need to go buy yourself a Coke. You need to go buy yourself the new iPhone 20 for $3,000 because then you'll be happy. Like, that's advertising. Did you ever think an advertising job is to make you feel discontent with your life? That's the whole, that's what they do. But the Bible says God has a purpose for where he has you. And he has given you everything that you need in that season. And that's why I love being a Christian. Because I can wake up every day knowing that God has me in this season for a reason. And that he has given me everything I need in that season. Because he's a good father. So now I want to be clear. Contentment is not laziness. It's not just saying, well, okay. And he said, be content. I don't need to try anymore. I'm not even going to shower because what's the point? I'm going to be content with who I am. That's not what I'm saying. Shower, please. Contentment is not complacency. Like there's things in my life and I'm like, you know what? I want to do it, but it's not where I want it to be. I want to see it do this. Contentment is not, I'm going to stop trying. It's not being complacent. Here's what con contentment is. Contentment is when we see that God has placed us and given us all that we need. Contentment is when we see that God has placed us and given us all that we need. I'm sorry that I do not have slides tonight. I know some of you have said you really like that. I love them too, but I just didn't have time. So I may repeat a couple things. But tonight we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. This is where Paul shows us what it looks like for the believer in Christ to live above his or her circumstances and not under them. Paul is a man who is content rather than crushed by his circumstances. And I would bet every dime that I have that there are people in this room right now that feel like you are being crushed by your circumstance. That you feel like you are living under a circumstance and you just cannot get out from underneath it. Well, in Philippians 4, we're going to see Paul live out a life not crushed by his circumstances. In fact, Paul paints us a picture 
for us of gospel contentment and how our contentment is not connected to our circumstances, it's learned, and that it flows from our connection and reliance on Christ. So if you're there, let me give you a quick, if you haven't been with us this series, let me give you a quick setup. I already kind of mentioned it. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is chained to the elite Roman guard, and he is awaiting trial from Caesar to see if he will live or he'll die. He is confined. He's without freedom, let alone any comforts of life. Yet throughout this letter, Paul not is not defeated in spirit. We see it time. In fact, a lot of uh, commentaries refer to the book of Philippians as the book of joy. The book of joy, written from prison, shackled to a Roman guard, without freedom, without opinion, and it's the book of joy. And in, he doesn't live in a defeated spirit, but he lives instead a victorious, joyful man. Rather than needing to be encouraged all throughout the book of Philippians, he's the one encouraging the people in Philippi. He's the one shackled, but he's the one encouraging. So let's read Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Verse 10, it says, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived my, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. My first point tonight is this. Contentment is not connected to our circumstance. Contentment is not connected to our circumstance. Let me read verse 11 and 12 one more time. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. You know, guys, I think it's human nature to always be looking for the next thing. We're kind of, um, we're kind of brought up in that culture, right? Even in schools, like come after spring break, what does class look like when you were a little kid? We're getting you ready for next year. Here's what's happening. Like my son William is going to go into intermediate school next year. So all the conversations are... Hey, this is what intermediate school is going to be like, blah, 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 blah. And they're going to take him over there. They're going to show him the school. And, so, and rightly so, they're preparing him for the next season. But guess what's on his mind? The next season. And now he's already anxious and worrying about what fifth grade is going to be because there's all these kids come together. And so we kind of grow up in, 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 this, in this culture of the grass is greener. What's, what, what's over there? And I'm going to pick on some low-hanging fruit tonight. Social media drives this home with a stake and a sledgehammer. The culture of discontent. Did you know the average American has five social media accounts and spends an average of an hour and a half a day browsing their networks? Some of you are like, sweet, I'm above average. Because you spend like three hours scrolling through 
So at least in some area, we're above average in our life, right? That's a good thing. Maybe. (laughs) Research also tells us it has shown that people who use social media more than two hours a day show greater increased tendencies towards mental health disorders such as depression and anxiety. I want to read you an article I found today, and it was, I mean, it made me laugh and it kind of made me cry. It was on Psychology Today. This was written actually last month. The title of the article, if you want to read the whole thing, is called Social Media is Social Masochism. She starts out like this. It's like an ad on a TV. However you feel now, you want to feel worse? It's possible with just one click. Don't want to feel worse alone? We can do it together within milliseconds. We can burn with envy, rage, regret, resentment, rivalry, and or self-hatred. All these mood swings and more can be yours on social media. That's what social media does. It just feeds and feeds and feeds discontent. I was like, man, as funny as that is reading it, that kind of hurts a little bit. Like the rest of the, the whole article is incredible, so you may want to read it. She's not a Christian, but man, she makes some great points. But Paul is stressing here in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, that his contentment does not increase, it does not decrease on his material provisions or his physical circumstances or whatever shows up on his Instagram feed. His content stays the same. His joy is complete, regardless of what's out there. His mind and his heart were on the things of God. And we saw that from chapter one in Philippians. We see a man whose eyes are fixed on Jesus and are fixed on the mission of Christ. And that's why he says, listen, I can do anything. I'm in prison? Great, fantastic. You remember what happened in chapter one? The whole prison knows about Jesus because I'm in here, so give God praise. He wasn't looking to change his circumstance. He was looking for God to work in his circumstance. That's what Paul does. I found this poem, and when I read it, I almost, I mean, it just took my breath away. I want to read it to you about this idea of of contentment. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors, it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air, it was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season, it was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was, a, it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over and I never got what I wanted. Young adults, I'm a little bit ahead of you in life, not just by a couple of years, not that much. But let me encourage you with this. This is something I've seen play out in my life time and time and time again. Do not be quick 
to pray away any season of your life. Do not be quick to pray, God, take this season away. But be quick to pursue and please God in that season. Don't be quick to pray it away because you only get that season one time. Like you and I can all, we could probably all talk about high school and how we would have done things differently. But in reality, we wasted the last year, year and a half of high school just wanting to get out of high school. And what I wish I would have done when I was 16 and 17 is I would have said, God, how do you want to use me in this season? Even though I don't want to be here, how do you want to use me? There's a preacher named G.K. Chesterton. These old guys, like in the 1800s, just had a way of talking that we don't have today. He said this, true contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation, all that there is in it. I get the, get, get the visual of like a sponge, and you're like, this is my season. I'm going to squeeze out everything God has for me in this season while I'm in this season, because there's a day this season will be gone. And there will be a day where you look back on that season and say, ah, oh, I wish I would have. My second point tonight is in verse 11, and Paul says it several times. He says, contentment is learned. Contentment is not connected to my circumstance. Number two, contentment is learned. He says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to uh, abound, and in every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. You see, we live in a world of Amazon Prime where you click a button and in two days it will be there. And it is fantastic. I ordered something today and I cannot wait till Thursday. Because there's still something about getting a package. You're like, yes, if I know what it is, it's not that cool, but I got a package. Like that's the mentality we live in. Like if you want it, you can get it. If you want it, you can get it. But contentment is not a switch we can flip. When Paul's writing this, he's probably in the last five to six years of his life. So this is an end-of-life Solomon moment. He's speaking wisdom, saying, listen, this is something I have learned to do. I can't just flip a switch. Like I, what I wish I could do is preach this message, you take it, and you, now you are content. By Saturday, you are good to go. But it doesn't work that way. And Paul tells us that, and I appreciate that comforts me greatly. That comforts me greatly. Because we do live in a world of Amazon Prime. We want to have mastered spiritual disciplines, can we be honest, with the most minimal of effort. I want to be holy. I want to be content. I want to be joyful. Does it cause, but well, what does it require of me? Oh, eh, that, nah, I'll just hope for it. I just hope it, I get it. Like, that's how I function. That's how Andy's brain functions. I hear something good, I'm like, yeah, I want that. Oh, what does it require? Oh, it requires commitment and, and sacrifice to do that and get that. Mm, I'll just put it in my head and think, I want that, and then over time, it'll happen for me. 
Like, that's who I am. Like, I, am, I struggle with discipline. But I think we live in a world today where we, we want these things, but we're not willing to put in the effort. We need to be students of our circumstance and God's activity within them. If you're not looking back frequently and being like, how did God work then? Because it's my opinion when I, when I meet with people and hear stories is that God has a certain language that he teaches you with, each individual person. Like I can look back on my life and I can see God's hand very specifically through very similar ways time and time and time again. I can see the pattern of the timing, of the way. And so you need to study your circumstances and how God works within them. Be a constant learner like Paul. Solomon in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, says this very thing. He is, he's the wisest man that's ever lived. He has studied himself, and he says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that, is, that I need for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and then steal and profane the name of God. He knew who he was. He's like, God, don't give me too much, because I know that if you give me that, I will forget you, and I will chase that thing as my God. But God, please don't give me too little, because I know my greedy tendencies, and I will steal from people, and I will profane your name in doing so. He says, God, just give me what I need for today. Just give me what I need for today. And in my experience, this lesson to be learned of contentment is not learned in times of prosperity, but in adversity. One of the wisest people, my mentor, a guy over here uh, at Britain Christian Church, his name's Mike Hayes, when, during the, the darkest seasons of my young adult years, he was speaking truth to me and he was challenging my worldview. And he said, Andy, what if the goal of the valley is not to get you out of the valley? What if the goal is to walk with God through the valley and see how he wants to work with you in the valley? He said, Andy, can God pluck you out of the valley? Yes. Can God make the valley go away? Yes. But what does he say in Psalm 23? I will walk with you through the valley. There is purpose in the valley. There's purpose. I love that God does not waste a moment. When Paul writes, I have learned to be content, this speaks to the calm acceptance of his present lot in life. To be discontent would mean Paul wants to be somewhere else than where the sovereign hand of God has placed him and have more than the sovereign hand of God has chosen to give him. My last point, number three, comes from verse 13, the famous verse. And it's contentment flows from our connection and our reliance on Christ. Our contentment flows from our connection and our reliance on Christ. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I hate to break it to you, especially the athletes in the room who own a t-shirt that on the back of it says you will win state because Christ through all things will give you strength to score the goal to win the state championship. That is not what this verse is about. It never will be. 
It is about saying, I can do all things. I, Paul says, I have known what it is like to live on the mountaintops. If you look in the book of Acts, when the, the, the church in Philippi was, be, was started, uh, one of Paul's partners in launching the church in Philippi was a lady named Lydia, and she was extremely, extremely wealthy. Paul says, I know what it's like to live the high life. And you know what? I've been shipwrecked multiple times. I've been in prison multiple times, and I know what it's like to have nothing. And he says, I can do all things because it is Christ that gives me strength, not my circumstance. You know, I see this play out when I was a kid. My dad was a pretty big guy. He was about six foot three, about 240 pounds. He was a tower of a man, especially for a little tiny Andy. And I remember when things, like I lived in Iowa, which is not too different than Oklahoma. We had tornadoes. Our tornado season was in June. Ours is in April, May. But we'd have tornadoes. And we'd have huge lightning storms. And I remember as a kid, when the lightning would strike, it would freak me out. It would scare me to death. And I would run into my parents' room. I would jump on their bed. And I would just bury my head in my dad's shoulder or my mom's shoulder. And just, you know, and they would wrap me. and like, it's okay. No big deal. It's just, it's rain, Andy. Like, suck it up, dude. Like, but that's, that was my instant reaction as a child. And now as a dad, almost on a daily basis, one of my kids, something will happen. A feeling will be hurt. A moment when they're scared. A moment when they need something, especially Nate, our youngest. When he's hungry, he can't speak, so he just cries. And he runs up to me, and he just wraps his arms around my legs and sticks his face right here. And he just says, Gah! And he cries because he needs something. He's scared. I need food. I don't know what's happening. My stomach hurts. Ah! And his immediate reaction is to run to mom and to run to dad. But I'll be honest with you. As I've grown older, my first reaction is not to run to God. It's not. The older I get, when I become scared, when I become frightened, when my feelings are hurt, when I'm frustrated, whatever feeling you want to throw in there, my first reaction, honest to God, is distraction. How can I just forget this for a minute? I know. I will check my social media, all of them, and then I will play Plants vs. Zombies 2 for an hour, and then I will do Flow Free, and then I'll play 1010, and then I'll do Clash of Clans for a minute. Like... This is my distraction. Because I would be lying to you if I'm saying, as a 41-year-old dad, husband, I don't get scared and I don't fight discontent. And man, my prayers, I'd be more like my kids. I'll be more like me as a kid who said, when I have a moment, I just go run to the Father and say, hold me, tell me it's gonna be okay. Because here's the crazy thing that happens every single time. When my kids run to me and their tears are just flowing, they're angry, they're red-faced because they want to kill someone, I wrap them up and we talk. And I show them and I tell them it's going to be okay. Here's how we're going to handle this. It's not a big deal. I know how this is going to play out. Because most of the time, I do. Like my little guy, Hank, he can't stand having substitute teachers because he's so scared that they don't know what's, what needs to happen during the day. Like, they don't know when we eat lunch and when we do recess and when we go to the bathroom. Like, he's so wrapped up and fearful that they don't know. And I know that the sub's going to know, right? But he doesn't understand that. And so every time he has a sub or he, like, 
the teachers will tell them, hey, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And it's like, oh, no, it's going to be a long night with Hank. But we just, we, we talk him through it. And that's what this does for us. That's what God's word does for us. It walks us through whatever you're walking through. And it reminds us who is sovereign. And it reminds us who the good father is. It reminds us. Do you need to be living above your circumstance? I'll bet you do. Do you need to experience joy in the midst of your situation? I know I do. Do you need to know what it is to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Well, the good news is in verse 13, Paul tells us the secret. Worst kept secret in the Bible because he tells you this is the secret. Let's read it. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, the, the secret is this. Paul isn't preoccupied with his situation. He is preoccupied with his Savior. That is the secret. That's the secret. He's not staring at his situation, thinking about his situation all the time. He has replaced his situation with his Savior, who is a sovereign, gracious, almighty, all-powerful Redeemer. And he says, because God is good, because God is significant, because God is omniscient, I'm okay where I'm at, because he has placed me where I need to be, and he's given me everything I need for this moment. I need nothing else. I can do all things, because Christ is my strength. Taylor and I talk often, sorry, I'm going on a rabbit trail tonight, but Taylor and I talk often about battery life on our phones. She is the type of person that will not look for a charger until it is less than 5%. And I get cold sweats just thinking about that. If my phone goes under 90%, I'm like, where's the charger? I need a full charge. I don't know what's happening. But here's what happens. As soon as I plug it in, I'm like, oh, whew. okay. We can do Bluetooth all day long. I'm plugged in. I'm good. And I think that's what Paul's saying. He's plugged into his power source. And so he's like, I'm good. I can do whatever I need to do. I can be wherever you want me to be because I'm plugged in with you. Are we preoccupied with our circumstance and our situation or are we occupied, preoccupied with our Savior? Where is our gaze fixed? Where is our mind on? There's a theologian, he's also a NASCAR driver named Jeff Gordon. He says this, while you're driving, either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. And this simple and true statement also illustrates the nature of the Christian life. Either you focus on Jesus or you will crash head on into discontentment. You'll crash head-on into complaining, into deceit, distrust, or greed. We have to remember that all joy for your soul and all power for your life is found in Jesus Christ. And you need and I need to get as close as I can to Jesus. I need to run to him, grab both legs, stick my head in between his legs, just help me! That's 90% of my prayer life. God, help me. Help me. 
I don't know what I'm walking into. I don't know how to handle this. Help me. I want to freak out. I don't like where I'm at. I'm discontented. This isn't the way I want it to go. God, help me. Trust you. God, help me see it your way. I love the song we sang earlier. I look to you. That's where my help comes from. God, I look to you. Christian, you need to get as close to Christ as you can. The question is, are you willing to get close? Are you willing to get close? So as I close, I want to just give a quick application. I want to give you three things that you could walk out of here tonight and do and start moving towards a life of contentment in Christ. And again, I'm going to pick on the low-hanging fruit because it's the most practical thing in our life. Number one, I want to challenge you to log off for one week from all of your social media. One week. Because here's, what, here's how social media works. Whatever you are lacking, whatever insecurity you have, or whatever you perceive you're lacking, we will likely scroll past someone prospering in that very area. Right? If you're single and you're flipping through, what do you always see? Somebody on a date who looks like they're loved well and they're enjoying a nice meal while I'm eating macaroni and cheese again. Right? It's just how we were wired. The areas in which we are insecure, the areas in which we're discontented, we will find those things. So I want to challenge you to log off for a week and see how you feel at the end of a week. I want you to write this down. Do I feel more content or less content? Because I don't know about you, but I've never talked to a single person who says, I got off social media and my life went out of control. I was a wreck. I have to have it. Almost every single time, I was like, man, it felt really good to get rid of that discontent. If social media is tempting you toward discontentment, log off and you will glorify the Lord by doing so. If that is the cause of your discontent, get rid of it. The Bible says flee from sin. I want to read the last page of this article. She ends with this. Clever humans invented social media, which makes some of us hate each other, then ourselves for being ourselves and for hating social media. That's why staying away forever or just a day feels like fleeing a fight club that calls itself fun. That's, that'll preach. That's why staying away forever or just a day feels like fleeing a fight club that calls itself fun. So log off. Number two, I want you to log back into God's word. You see, and this happens with with sin and temptation. We can't just say, I'm not going to do it. You have to replace that with something else because something will fill it. So fill it with God's word. Shut down the app, log off of your social media, and log into the Bible app. The times you are drawn to open social media, open the Bible app. Had, had uh, one of the gals here at the church, I was kind of giving her my notes. I'm like, what do you think? She's like, I got an idea. I do this. My small group does this, and it works fantastic. Whatever your social media is that you like the most, for me it's Twitter, is 
move your Bible app to where the Twitter app used to be and watch Pavlov's dog actually happen in your life. You'll be like, oh, Instagram, oh, Bible app. Conviction. Okay. Like, just replace it. Literally replace wherever your social media app is on your screen with the YouVersion Bible app or some other Bible app. And then every time you're tempted to look, just say, you know what, I'm going to get in God's word for 10 minutes. I'm going to let that feed my soul. Dwight L. Moody says this. I, I promise we're done. There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do the little things. Oh, man. There are many of us. God, sign me up. You want to do something big? I'm your man. Let me know. You tell me where to go. If it's big, I want to be a part of it. But God says, no, I want you to get up early. I want you to spend time with me. Are we willing to do the little things to prepare ourselves when God wants to do the big thing? There are many of us who are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do the little things. Let's do the little things, young adults. Thirdly, log off social media, log into the Bible app. And number three, keep a record of what you read each day and share it with somebody. Get a pad of paper. I'm gonna give you three things. Write down a verse that sticks out to you, write out why it stuck out to you, and then write out a prayer of gratitude for God showing it to you. Just start doing that. And in little bit by little bit, you'll start moving to a life of contentment. That in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Paul says, listen, there are two things that are great, of great gain, godliness and contentment. Contentment is not connected to our circumstances. Contentment is learned over a lifetime. And contentment comes from our connection and reliance on Christ. Young adults, I want to encourage you. Life is going to bring you a never-ending flow of discontent. Because life never goes the way you want it to go. My life and a lot of areas of my life right now tonight are not going the way I want them to go. I can throw a fit. I can get mad at God. But in the end, I need to trust that he is good. I think it was Psalm 84 that Cole and I were talking about today. Is that right, Cole? Psalm 84? It says, God will not withhold anything that is good from those who are blameless. And what that tells me is simply this. If God's not giving it to you, it's not what's best for you right now. My son desperately wants to drive my truck. And I will not give it to him. There will be a day where I hand him the keys. I'm like, son, drive safely. Have a good time. But that day is not today. And some of the things that we're praying for that we are discontented in, God says, not right now. It is not what's best for you. There's a good chance that he gave that to you right now. You would destroy that thing. You'd wrap your whole life around that thing instead of Jesus. So let's be content in where God has us and what he's given us where we are. And then watch how God wants to work. Let's be present. And now let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Lord, I, I just, I just, I'm just so thankful, God, that there are scriptures in your Bible that talk about the things that are very real to us, the, the, the feelings of discontent, the feelings of wanting and not having. 
God, thank you that you are a God who steps into that feeling. And God, thank you for the the testimony of Paul who says it is because of Christ that I can do anything. I can be rich, I can be poor, I can be hungry, I can be full, I can be single, I can be married, I can be jobless, I can have a job. Wherever I'm at, I can be content. And it is well because of you, my good Father. So God, I pray you would strengthen us, that you would meet us in those feelings of discontent and you would show us and draw us to your word and just beat us over the head with the fact that you care for us and that you withhold no good thing and that your timing is perfect. So God, I pray as we go into a time of worship, Lord, that there's someone in here who is struggling, who just needs somebody to pray over them. God, that they would go to the back with boldness and ask for prayer. God, let us become come humbly before you, asking and seeking you, and seeking the contentment that only comes in Christ. In your son's name, amen.